All right. I'm sure you're wondering how that ends. Well, we're beginning this, this series, or continuing it, and, and actually last week uh, we started off, our senior pastor John Burke was talking about this very subject, oh, the places you'll go. It's the number two selling book for graduates of high school, even though it's a children's book by Dr. Seuss, but it really explains this adventure that life could be. And actually, when John was talking last week, he was trying to, to communicate, this isn't about seeking adrenaline. And, and, and it's not, but he accidentally said it's, it's not about free basing, and he meant to say base jumping, so he was off a little bit there. It's still not about that either, but what we're talking about is an adventure, an adventure of faith, that how life can be best experienced outside of our comfort zone. And so what we're doing is we're looking at different moments in the scriptures where people of faith are called to go. And there's different ways that you can study the scriptures. If you're new to the Bible, let me just encourage you not to let what others have said about it dissuade you. A lot of confusion, a lot of misrepresentation, but if you go in with an open heart and open mind, I think you'll be amazed at what you'll discover. There's different ways to, to tackle the scriptures. You can read a, a letter uh, the books of the Bible, some are letters, some are poetry, some are prophecies, and, and actually read it all the way through. Some of these little letters only takes you 10 minutes to read through it. Or you can look at a, a particular person. It's a, a study of a person, and, and sometimes they're featured in multiple books, and some of the books were written by these folks, and some are great examples to not follow, or great examples to follow. But another way to study the scriptures is actually do a word study, to just find the different moments where the same word is used over and over. And, and when you're actually reading the scriptures, the way that it can be transformative is certainly you need to understand the context, what was intended by the original author, interpreting the scripture by the scripture. But the part that's transforming is when you actually take what you read and apply it to your life. When you actually allow the scriptures to, to change how you live, and I want to actually look at a passage that, in many ways, for the first time in my life, transformed the trajectory of where I was headed. It's in Luke chapter 10. And we see in this passage that Jesus was approached by these religious leaders, and they asked him the way to heaven. How can someone know they're going to heaven? And he actually answers in a way that wasn't exactly what they hoped for. He responds with this. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, one of these religious scholars asked, well, who's my neighbor? And it's in that moment that Jesus shares a story you're probably familiar with. It's called the Good Samaritan. We've shared, uh, looked at this passage many times over the years, and so just to summarize, the Good Samaritan is a story about the least likely person showing compassion instead of the religious leaders who walked by a person in need. And at the end of this story, Jesus says this phrase. He says, go and do likewise. Go and be neighborly. Go and show mercy to people. But what we're curious about today is not the who to be neighborly to. That's the point of the Good Samaritan story, which is basically anyone who has a need that we can meet. But instead today, I want to focus on how how we can go and do likewise, how the adventure and the fun of being a follower of Jesus comes into our life. And so here's 
the passage. I, I want to encourage you to go and read all of this later, but I want to hit some of the highlights of Luke 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a really interesting phrase at the end of this passage, describing Jesus as full of joy. Something that he saw in the midst of what the disciples did brought him joy. There's actually only three times in the New Testament that actually says something brought Jesus joy. In John chapter 11, he rejoiced in the opportunity to rise Lazarus from the dead. We looked at that passage a few weeks ago. In Hebrews 12, the scriptures tell us that Jesus actually went to the cross joyfully. It was the joy set before him that he willingly gave his life sacrificially. And there was joy because that meant that you and I could have a relationship with him because of his sacrifice, bridging that gap between humanity and God. And this third time, it's actually the only time when someone did something that brought him joy. But not only did the disciples going out, these 72 going out with courage and willingness to take a risk bring Jesus joy, but it brought joy to them as well. They came back excited. They were stoked. You can just imagine that conversation between them and Jesus. They're excited talking about how they got out of their comfort zone and they felt the power of God flowing through them and Jesus just laughing in response and smiling and and encouraging them, this is what it's like when you're willing to take a risk. And I want you to know that, that we're invited into this adventure. That we bring Jesus joy when we're willing to step out of our comfort zone, to live out our faith, and to experience the exhilaration of bringing change to someone else's life. But so often we're too afraid of danger, that we don't take risks. I wonder if you know the most dangerous furniture item in your house. You're probably thinking the dishwasher. You banged your shin against it a hundred times. Maybe you're thinking it's the garbage disposal. Actually, according to John Ortberg, an author and pastor out of the Bay Area, he says the easy chair is the most dangerous piece of furniture in your house because it keeps us from the kind of life that God has for us because of how it feels. Today we're talking about getting out of that easy chair, getting out of what's comfortable. Instead of pursuing God only for what he gives us, for safety, actually pursuing him for what he wants us to give to the world around us. 
I mean, think about it. When we're in full recliner mode, it's very difficult to get up and do anything, not just for God, but for anyone. I want you to consider your relationship with God. Is your life devoted to the most dangerous object in the house? Do you pursue God for safety, for protection? Or are you the kind of person who's actually longing for God to use in an amazing way? See, following Jesus can be more thrilling than any film we might watch from that easy chair. And if you're here and you would describe your relationship with God as boring or it hasn't really made a difference or your life might be lacking adventure, it could be because you're playing things far too safe or you're playing this game of faith too casually. Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the things you'll see. Oh, the joy you'll taste if you just pry yourself from that chair. If we would just leave this protected version of Christianity to actually follow Jesus wherever he might lead, we would be amazed at what happens in us and through us. What if we were to go and do likewise? Well, there's actually five excuses I wanna talk about that we can see through this passage Five excuses we might use to keep us from moving forward. But before we dive into that, it's important to know this, this journey begins by first praying. First just asking God if there's anything more to what he has for us. If you're stuck in your comfort zone and you're not sure even what to do on this adventure or what could be an adventure, just pause and ask God to pray. Maybe your next step is to just pray while you're sitting in the easy chair. Asking God, is there more that you have for me? And this is why this passage was so instrumental in my life. I've shared with you my struggles before with anxiety. I I grew up really from kindergarten through college in Texas. Everybody I'm related to is from Texas. And and as a little kid, I, I played soccer. And I don't know if you've ever played soccer or watched soccer players who are five years old but they don't really play their position. And I was selected to be goalie, and that's the one position that you know where to be. Everyone else is just chasing that ball, and I remember vividly, one of my very first memories in my life was that soccer game when I was the goalie. And I remember looking up and seeing a herd of children coming right at me. And I did the only thing I could think to do in that moment. I peed myself (laughs) in front of everyone. I peed my pants, I started to cry, and they scored a goal. It was awful. (laughs) So I switched from soccer to baseball. A few years later, at the age of 10, I was so nervous about getting hit by that ball or throwing the ball and hitting someone, I actually started to develop an ulcer. My parents took me to the doctor where they put me on a bland diet. I was such an anxious little kid. In fact, my favorite Bible verse as a child, as a middle schooler, was, have no fear of sudden disaster. It's my favorite verse, because I was so afraid of sudden disaster. And so at about the age of 17, I was at a camp in Oklahoma called Falls Creek. It was 100 and something degrees, and it was such a conservative place that you had to wear long pants. And actually, boys and girls weren't allowed to swim together. They called it no mixed bathing. And so all of a sudden, the same girls that I was swimming with the week before 
we weren't allowed to swim with, and so me and my buddies would sneak around to see the girls swimming as if it was suddenly a big deal. Because it was called bathing, right? And, and in the midst of this odd and conservative place that was blazing hot wearing long pants, I remember, and I'll never forget, this moment when the speaker on stage read this passage. And for the first time in my life, I heard myself in the story. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think it may have been the first time in my life that instead of praying and asking God for protection, I asked God to send me. Instead of asking God to protect me, I asked God, send me. I wonder if you just paused long enough to say, God, is there more you want to do in my life? Some of us are settling far too soon for what's comfortable. We pursue God only for protection and comfort, not realizing he wants to send us out to make a difference in the world around us, a world that desperately needs people willing to make a difference. I could never have imagined what praying that at the age of 17 would do in my life. Kindergarten through college in Texas, and, and I found the trajectory of my life change. I remember going to my parents after that camp saying, I, I think God might be calling me to be a missionary or maybe a pastor. And my parents, who love Jesus, said, that's great, maybe, after you get your business degree. And I, so I went off and got my business degree, and I, and I, I still tried to pursue a, a, a job at a church, and I got one. I was a janitor, unplugging toilets after rowdy weddings. That was my job. The second job I got at a church was as a youth pastor. They paid me $70 a week, which even in the early 90s was not a lot of money. And then I was invited, me and my fiance, who became my wife, Deborah, was invited to go help plant a church in Seattle. But a month before we were to move, they called and said, hey, we'd still love you to come, but we can't pay you. Well, that's, that's disappointing. <laughs> that's, that's why we were going. And yet we still went and so for a while there, it felt like my parents were right. There was not a lot of money in, in what I felt called to do. Uh, zero dollars doesn't pay the bills, but that business degree came in handy as I worked in insurance and with rental car company and as a temp. And both my position in Seattle and eventually the position I had at the church in Los Angeles, both times those churches, and we moved to places where we began as volunteers. And I have to tell you that the adventure of following Jesus, no matter where he might call us to go, I, I would have never imagined this anxious kid who grew up in Texas would have the opportunity to not only live in Seattle and Los Angeles, but to be able to be a part of what God was doing in places like Canada or Mexico or the Middle East and Lebanon and Egypt, Turkey and Syria, that I would have the opportunity to go to Australia and Kuala Lumpur and New Zealand and Shanghai. And the craziest place that God has ever sent me, a place I love the most, to Austin, Texas. <laughs> I wonder if you're willing to shift from God protect me to God send me. You'll be amazed at the adventure he has for you. But once we start to pray, I have to tell you, I have to warn you, there will be reasons not to move forward. The first one is this. Excuse number one, I'm not sure where to go. Now, 
The first service wasn't very honest about this, so I'm gonna try again with the second. How many of you men would say you do not like asking for directions? All right, a few more of you have hands up. You know, I think we're genetically predisposed to not ask directions. Because prehistoric men, if we were to stop to ask for directions, would get eaten by saber-toothed tigers. I think that's where it all began. But actually, a true story, insurance, an insurance company did a study and discovered that men drive an additional 276 miles per year because we wander around aimlessly, <laughs> not willing to ask for directions. Even last night, my app was telling me what to do, and I was like, nah, that's wrong. <laughs> Even though I was not in our town. We just go against asking for directions. And so Jesus makes it easy for us. If you're not sure where to go, listen to what he says in Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He starts off simple. He says, look, I'm not calling you to Rome. I'm not sending you to China, not even to Jerusalem. I'm just sending you 72 to the town just beyond where you're comfortable to the neighborhood just beyond what you're used to, to the next town, to the next village, to a place just a little bit beyond where you are now. See, what we see in the scriptures is that God often sends his representatives before him. Jesus wanted them to go and just to begin to talk that he's coming to prepare the way. And we see this throughout the scriptures. God sending a representative to scout or to prepare the people or to introduce. We see Joshua and Caleb sent into the promised land. We see Isaiah and the other prophets where God asked, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Or John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, getting the people ready for the Messiah, for Jesus. And even Jesus sent a couple of disciples to prepare the way for the Passover. So in this moment, Jesus is sending them out to prepare the way for his next journey. See, often before God will really bring his power to bear in a situation or in a person's life, he sends normal people like you and me to prepare the way. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. See, rather than overwhelming people with his presence or making some kind of mysterious, hard-to-detect overture, he sends us as a tangible representation of his love, as a credible testimony of what he can do in a person's life. If you're having trouble getting started, just be salt and light where you are, in your neighborhood, where you work, on that sports field when you're cheering on your kids in the midst of your hobbies. One of our gateway leaders lives up in Avery Ranch and he was new to the neighborhood and noticed many others were new to the neighborhood so he decided to throw an event to get to know the neighbors and so the neighbors could get to know each other. Unfortunately, he called it Halloweeners. <laughs> they cooked hot dogs and it was Halloween but even with that name, they still came out and got to know each other. And now some of those neighbors have become best friends. Or I think of Karen Davis and Cliff Eggers, people just like you and me driving around South Austin, seeing people in need, homeless folks, and wondering what they could do about it. And so in doing some research, they discovered a, a nonprofit that teams with several churches that actually helps folks who 
Our homeless who don't want to be on the streets get off the streets. And so their life groups come together every Saturday morning to make coffee for what's called Angels Under the Bridge. See, you and I can be a part of making a difference. Have you considered that you are where you are for a reason? In that neighborhood, where you work, in that family, a part of that group of friends. Anne Frank once wrote, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single minute before starting to improve the world. What can you do even this week to make a difference? You don't have to go to Zambia, you can go to Zilker Park. When we get out of the easy chair where things are safe, we'll also find adventure is right there. It's not boring when you truly follow after what Jesus has for us. And I want you to know, when you go out this big door, there's a big mural, and on that mural are our four core values. And that fourth value, it says, change your world. And we did that on purpose. We didn't say, change the world. That's too big. That's too overwhelming. All God's calling us to do is be willing to change our world that's right around us, the people that are already in our life. Well, excuse number two can creep in. That's, well, maybe later. Jesus invites us right now. He says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. <coughs> See, usually we try to plan and organize, but really it's our attempts to stay in control, to minimize the risk of failure that might happen if we follow God. See, we try to follow God, but only on our own terms. And Jesus is saying, no, trust me, just start, just go. I wonder, we'll try it now with this idea. We weren't completely honest about directions, but how many of you would say you might be a procrastinator? Some of you are still trying to decide, I can tell, right? <laughs> Well, if you're not sure, let me give you a quick little assessment, right? You know you're a procrastinator if you've ever been pulled over for expired license tags. Or if you make lists just to feel like you're more in control. Or if you've ever had a day with so much to do that you just decided to take a nap. <laughs> or if you ever found yourself at 2 a.m. saying, just one more episode. Or maybe you had a big test to study for, but you needed a snack and it had to be, for some reason, homemade. <laughs> or maybe if you intended to procrastinate, but you haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> See, Jesus knows our tendency is to be procrastinators. And I think if we're honest, there may be some of us who have sensed that God has something specific he wants you to do. And you may have been just waiting procrastinating and it may have been 20 weeks ago or maybe 20 years ago that God made it clear what he has for you it's not too late to start today see the tragic flaw that we procrastinators get caught up in is we move into this all or nothing tendency I'm either gonna do it or I'm not gonna even try but see there's actually intermediate steps Small steps that we can take, even today, even this week. And when we take these small steps, they actually build on each other, and that's what gives us momentum. But see, we live in a world that tells us to, to only do those things you feel like doing. Don't get started, don't do it unless you feel like it, unless your heart is really into it. Otherwise, you might quit. 
See, the scriptures talk differently about feelings. See, feelings are to come after actions. Some of us have experienced that. You don't feel like going to work out, but you're glad you did after you worked out. The same is true with our spiritual muscles, that he invites us to do the right thing even when we don't feel like it. And in doing the right thing, the feelings will come. There's actually a letter from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. The church had lost its first love. And so he writes, he says to them, go back and do the things you used to do when you first fell in love with me. Do them even if you don't feel like it at first. See, it's in the process of doing the right things that we see positive reinforcement and eventually our feelings come around. And really, an act of maturity, we, we move to a level of maturity when we begin to, to do what we see in the scriptures even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't fully understand it. But I wonder, what's that next small step that you could take this week to become the person that God's creating you to be? What's the next small step to serve a neighbor? Serve someone with whom you work. Serve someone in your family. Well, excuse number three is that it is to convince yourself, I don't have anything to offer. See, the 72 are sent ahead of Jesus into the lives and homes of others just in that town next door. It's a brief journey. But he says in Luke 10, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. See, in those days, the ancient Middle Eastern mindset was if someone knocked on the door, then God must have sent them for you to help. They had a culture of hospitality. There were no Ramada inns. And we know even when Jesus' family was looking for inns, they were very hard to find any available. So the way that, that you traveled was to actually knock on the door of someone and ask for their hospitality. And basically what Jesus is saying is, look, I want you to to knock on the doors of people and if they are willing to let you into their home, then there I want you to discover what needs they might have and just simply meet those needs. Just simply strike up a conversation. And when the opportunity arises, meet a need. And if the opportunity arises, tell them about my love. See, that's, that's all we're called to do. That's, that's how it begins. Just simply start up a conversation. Discover the needs that they might have and seek to meet those needs. And if the opportunity arises, talk about God. You don't have to have all the answers. Just the willingness. Matthew 10 helps put things in perspective. Listen to Jesus' words. This is a large work I've called you into. But don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. See, sometimes we don't get started because we're just overwhelmed by all the needs that are around us, and really it just starts by giving a cold cup of water. Several years ago at Gateway, we did an event we called Just Love. And kind of the idea was, if you're not sure what to do, just love. And so we were walking the streets of downtown. I remember it was the hottest summer on record in Austin. There were more days over 100 that first summer that we moved here than any other summer in history. And while we were walking around, I remember looking at my phone to see the temperature. It was dark downtown Austin in August 2011. It was 105 degrees. 
And in the dark, walking around, we had ice-cold water bottles, and we would hand them out. And some of these folks, you would think we were giving them a $100 bill. Like, it was like the greatest thing they'd ever seen. They, they would open it and thank us profusely as they were drinking it. Now, some people just grabbed it, opened it, poured it down their back, and just kept going. But in that moment, people just wanted that cold water. And there were some that stopped us and say, what's going on here? What's the catch, right? Oh, no catch. We're just here to tell the city that God loves them. Okay, that's cool. Can I have a second one, right? And other people wanted to know even more. Well, what, what, do you, what, what is this group? We're part of a community called Gateway where you can come as you are. All right, sounds good. Do I owe you anything? <laughs> people could not believe there were no strings attached. We live in a jaded world, but a world that still needs love. Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed 100 people, then feed just one. All we gotta do is look for a need and meet that need. And it may be as simple as a cup of cold water. The fourth excuse, what if they reject me? Jesus gives us a heads up. That might happen. Luke 10, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. In other words, he's saying, it's not about you. It's about me. So if you go out to serve and they reject you, don't take it personally. You're my representative. There's something incredibly freeing in that. In fact, there's another passage where Jesus sent them out in twos in Matthew 10. And it actually says that if you go to someone's home and they don't want you, just move on. Don't try to force your way in. In other words, we're not trying to convert anybody or proselytize anybody. We're not trying to make anyone do anything they don't want to do. We're actually going out looking for people who are spiritually seeking so that we can help them find the one they're searching for. And guess what? In this city, there's a lot of people who are spiritually seeking. What if we were to go out, just simply meet a need and point people back to the God who loves them? We're told all the time, it's not personal, it's business. And don't you hate that phrase? Actually, when you hear that, what that mean, really means is, oh, it's about to get personal, right? <laughs> or you've heard, you know, it's not about the money, but actually, it probably is all about the money. Jesus is saying, I want you just to go out and remember that you're representing me, and so if you receive any rejection, don't take it personally. On that night, we were walking around with free water bottles, ice-cold water bottles and 106 degrees in the dark. There are a few people that did not like the water bottles as a gift. I remember trying to hand one to somebody, and he just went smack and hit it, flew into the street. I thought, oh, maybe he doesn't like water bottles, right? <laughs> there are some people that did not want to have anything to do with water bottles, but we just kept going because there were a lot of people who wanted them desperately, don't let the few who have no interest keep you from those who are desperately searching. Excuse number five, what difference does it really make? I can only imagine what those conversations must have been like when the 72 returned from their brief adventure from these nearby towns and villages. Jesus waiting there with a smile on his face, asking, how did it go? Tell me everything. Could you imagine the stories they shared? of the people they got to meet, the needs they were able to meet, 
describing what it was like to experience God's power working in their life and flowing through their life. Some of them even saw people healed. I wonder if you and I are willing to just meet the needs of those around us. Jesus says something remarkable in verses 18 through 20, chapter 10. He says, while you were gone, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, Jesus is saying that there are spiritual things that are happening that we cannot see when we are serving people and loving people in the world that we can see. In other words, we are actually stamping down darkness, crushing evil when we're willing to go out and do good. This is how we win. This is how the message of Jesus brings change, how the church advances. It's not through politics or angry posts on Facebook. It's not in dramatic ways. It's when you and I are willing to leave our comfort zone, we see a need and we meet that need. When we're willing to do that, the power of God flows through us and we are so countercultural, it's miraculous. What is it that God is calling you towards? William Wordsworth once wrote, the best portion of a good man's life, his little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. Do you realize that God's love for you is so real that it, he's been sending representatives into your life for a long, long time? And some of you have said yes to his love and now he's sending you See, our hearts are not meant to dam up the love that comes, but to actually flow into the lives of other people. That actually, when we lose our life in serving, that's how we find our life. See, there's a battle inside each of us between selfishness and selflessness. And actually, the whole journey of life, we start off as infants, and we're really selfish. No offense to any of you toddlers in the room. But the journey is towards selflessness. That's how we gain maturity and experience the fullness of life. In fact, we actually, if we live long enough, actually become people who actually end up taking care of the very people who took care of us. It's a journey of selflessness and that's how we find life in losing our life and serving other people. Maybe you've felt stuck in your spiritual journey and maybe that's because it's been all about you. What if, instead of saying, God, protect me, what if you were to pray, God, send me? Consider the mercy that he's poured over your life. And in this next song, I want you to consider the mercy that he wants to flow through you into the lives of other people. In a world that feels judged, a world that is broken, What if we were the voices of hope, of faith, and of love? Consider what your next step is as we listen to this song.